All right, good morning. Uh, the passage reading today is 1 Kings 3, 1 through 28, which I believe is the full chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there's blue Bibles uh, spread out under the chairs. You can grab one of those, and very handily, it's in page 161, so you should be able to find that pretty easily. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, please take that Bible home. Um, that is our gift to you, this service, um, because we believe that God's Word should be accessible to everyone, so um, please take that with you. Um, while you're turning there, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Jimmy. I'm the youth director here at Redemption North Mountain, um, so I oversee the sixth graders to our seniors in high school. All right, 1 Kings 3. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took, he took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in his statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people." It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life of riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Then two, prostitute, two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, O oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house, only we two were in the house. And, the, and this woman's son died in the night, because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me, while your servant slept, and laid him at her breast, and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. 
But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king and the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours, divide him. Then the king answered and said, give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, Jimmy. How are we doing this morning? Good. Missing a lot of women. I want to stop and just pray. Uh, I think they're on their way back. I don't know if they'll come to service or not, but uh, that's a lot of ladies up there. And here's what we want to happen. More relationships to form because we want discipleship to happen. We want maturity in all of us. So I just want to pray because a few of the RC leaders are talking to me just saying people are craving friendship with other Christians. And this church is still small enough to where it's easier to make those friendships relationships and connections but it's not always like the most obvious or most easiest thing to connect with another human so I want to stop and just pray for whatever connections are made to be strengthened especially as they head back home so would you pray with me for our some of our ladies God we lift up this retreat Casey and her team who wanted women to connect with each other and connect with you God the goal of this life is not Christian friendship the goal of this life is Christ likeness but that happens because we have Christian friends, brothers and sisters, that stir us on and spur us up to a higher calling. So I just pray for all the ladies that went there not knowing many people, that they now know someone or a few, and that those relationships would deepen, and that this church would be a place where anybody could come and meet you, first and foremost, but meet others uh, as well. So pray that happens with our women. Lord, we love you. Thank you for just the blessing and the generosity of this church to even have a retreat so early on in our church's history. God, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we get to turn the page here and look at a new king. So we've been walking through the three kings, the three main kings we got. We've had a different graphic. We mix it up. I don't know if those are actually statues of the real kings or not. But on the far left, that's Saul. That would be the first king. The middle, in the blue, that would be King David, the shepherd king, the guy who killed the giant. And now we walk into this series of Solomon up until we hit the Christmas Advent season. Solomon is the wisest man to ever live is how he's described. We get a look at these three men. And what's been interesting is before diving into preachers, I've never preached out of this section of the Bible, they were a lot more two-dimensional to me, each of these people. Saul was bad, David was mostly good, although he had a few mix-ups, and Solomon was just this wise guy. But as I've studied and spent time praying over these texts, coming to preach each Sunday, they've become more 3D. And that's my hope, especially as we kick off this morning, is that Solomon would be a little more three-dimensional for each of us. If you were to sort of do a quick search on Solomon or just ask around, here's sort of kind of some basic facts on Solomon. He's the second son of David and Bathsheba. David 
takes advantage of Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. That child dies, a stillbirth. David grieves, but David then takes Bathsheba as his wife, and they have a second son, and that would be Solomon. And Solomon is the heir that God chose for the kingdom. There's some infighting and some sort of uh, brotherly fighting over who will be king after David, but Solomon is the one that God wanted after David. His life spanned about 60 years from 990 BC to 930 BC. He's famous for building the temple, Solomon's temple, which lasted for hundreds of years. He finished the project that David hoped to be able to start and be a part of. Solomon's the one who had acquired all the stuff and the resources to build the temple. Probably just in popular culture, what he's most known for is he had a lot of ladies. He had a thousand women he called his own. 700 wives, 300 concubines. If we have 50 women up at a retreat, he had 20 retreats worth of women (laughs) at his disposal. And before I dove into this, that's sort of where I camped out. Like, I just can't even relate to a guy (laughs) who had 999 other Aubreys in his life of some way, shape, or form. So that's sort of popular culture. We'll hit on that. And then he's also known for his wisdom. So he wrote most of Proverbs, with the exception of, which is interesting, a woman coming in to finish out the book of Proverbs and say, hey, let me just put the exclamation point on what wisdom looks like. And then the Ecclesiastes, which is sort of the greatest philosophical treaties we've ever been given. Song of Psalm, which is this beautiful book about sex and marriage and intimacy. He wrote it. And then he's also accredited with two psalms, Psalm 72 and Psalm 127. Psalm 127 is one of my favorite psalms. It's about children being a heritage from the Lord. And then he acquired the most wealth out of any Israelite king. He, I would say Israel's wealthiest kingdom. I put that in quotation marks because Solomon was wealthy. How wealthy Israel was is a different story. But those are sort of the baseline facts of Solomon, if you were to do a Wikipedia search of him. And as we dive into what Jimmy just read, 1 Kings chapter 3, I want to summarize Solomon three words. And we're going to walk through this text with these three words. Uh, and I don't always do this, but when I do, it's a great thing. I gave you the same letter, RRR, relationships, his request, and his reward. So Solomon summarized in three words, his relationships, his requests, in his reward. So that's what we're going to walk through today. Let's just ask God to give us some of the wisdom that Solomon had so much of today. Father, be with us. God, it's interesting preaching texts about these historical figures that are so distant and yet so applicable to our day and age. So flawed. So relatable in so many ways. And yet all fall so far short of what we find and what we have in Jesus. So God, allow us to learn from Solomon, but allow us to look through him, not past him, through him to see Jesus even brighter this morning. God, thank you for your word and writing it down for us to learn from. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Everyone said. Amen. So the first thing is Solomon's relationship. We see it here, verse 1 through verse 5. I want to read what Jimmy just read. So starting at verse 1, this is not the first time Solomon's on the scene, but as you see the verse right above, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, So the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. This is the beginning of the kingdom of Solomon. Chapter 3 says, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings 
at the high places, and the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. The very first thing said about Solomon as his kingdom is presented. Here's the kingdom of Solomon, verse 1. Just to remind you that we are reading and learning about fallen, sinful men who are not the king that we really need. Verse 1, here's what's said about Solomon. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The first relationship talked about in the kingdom of Solomon is a marriage alliance to a woman from another country. In Deuteronomy, God says, you're going to ask for a king one day. You shouldn't. But here's what you should not do. Don't acquire gold, don't acquire horses, and don't acquire wives. Solomon's kingdom is here. First verse, he made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh's through marrying his daughter. And here's where I think I've been off with Solomon. So much of Solomon's sin I attribute to sexual desire and sort of over-sexual desire, or maybe normal sexual desire, just he had the resources to get what a lot of us maybe would go for. I don't think that's it. I think it's more of a political ploy, given that he was not going to be the warrior, was not the warrior his father was, so now he's king. How is he going to live and rule in Jerusalem, in Israel, which is the center of the world, surrounded by people that are always coming out? How is he going to navigate this? He's going to make alliance, an alliance, an alliance, with the other countries through marriage with their daughters and their wives. So right out of the gate as we study Solomon, and it's almost the author's way to just say, kind of whisper in at the beginning, hey, this is the theme you need to watch for. He goes after women. And there's a sexual element to it, but more than that, it's a heart element. He's trusting in his ability to lead through alliances. When Israel, when the Jews, when Christians today are called to be holy, that word means sanctified, it means set apart, utterly unique. We are not to bring in the cultures of the world and sync them up with ours. We're to be this set apart, city on a hill, light in the darkness, salt in a flavorless world. And Solomon, his first move is, you're my wife. I need an alliance with Egypt. However, this is where the 3D comes in. Solomon was more than just his marriages. I think the summary verse of this section here is verse 3, and I love it because it gives Solomon his due. Verse 3 says this about Solomon. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. What is Solomon's relationship with the Lord? He loves the Lord. He married too many women. He made too many alliances. He made a lot of mistakes. But verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord. What's his relationship with like the Lord? He loves the Lord. He walks in the statutes of David his father, and he goes about making sacrifice. Just to unpack sort of this sacrificial system, because the word there in verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only it's sort of a negative like, but he sacrificed. So what's going on here is there's no temple. 
There's no synagogues yet. That's way later. There's no church for the Jewish worshipers. So what do they do? They make high places. And a high place is simply what it sounds like. It's the highest place around. For us, it would be Piestawa Peak. That would be a place we would go and worship if we were Jews during this day and age. And Solomon participates in this worship. And he does so extravagantly. He says he used to offer a thousand bird offerings on the altar. And he went to Gibeon, which is the highest of high places. It's the highest mountain to go to to sacrifice. And Solomon is participating in the worship moment at this time. He's not sending servants to go do his sacrificing. Solomon the king, the highest in the land, is getting up in the morning and walking and climbing Piestawa Peak and sacrificing to the Lord and then walking down and then doing it over and over and over again. Why do I highlight that? Because he's actually an active participant in the worship of Yahweh. For our day and age would be he's an active church member. He's an active participant in a Sunday gathering, in a community gathering, in what the church is doing locally. He was participating in what was actually going on. The king. He didn't send his minions to do it. He did it. And one of the main questions we get as pastors, and I've gotten a lot recently, is like, what do I do when I'm in like this dry season? Like God is just not showing up. I feel like I wake up. He's not there. I go through my day. He's not answering my prayers. It's just sort of barren. It feels like I'm in a desert, what the Bible might call I'm in the wilderness or the desert. What do I do with that? Here's what's fascinating with this story is it doesn't tell us how many times Solomon went to make sacrifices. He went to this place, then he went to Gibeon. When he went here, he brought a thousand sacrifices. He's actively showing up posturing himself in a worshipful posture before the Lord, and then boom, verse 5, God shows up. Verse 5, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. And I think that's how it works as followers of Jesus. Going to church, reading your Bible, doing all the sort of spiritual rhythms and disciplines does not get you God. But avoiding them and sitting back waiting for some miracle to happen is never how God works with his people. You show up in the desert. You show up when you're thirsty. You show up and you show up and you show up. And occasionally a verse 5 happens where God shows up and says, tell me what you want and I will give it to you. And that's what we see here with Solomon. Here's the question I'd ask you. What is your regular rhythm right now of meeting with the Lord? Like how do you personally... Meet with the Lord. Like what is your weekly posture, your daily posture to present yourself before the Lord like Solomon day after day after day? I think three tools is sort of what I give basic discipleship answers to is you should have at least three ways you're showing up to meet with the Lord. Mine is a quiet time in the morning, me and my Bible and my journal. The second one is Sabbath, Saturday, we're done working, we're relaxing, the kids are playing video games, we're meeting with the Lord through college football and chicken wings. <laughs> and then Sunday gathering, we show up. When we're on vacation, we find a church nearby where we're vacationing and we show up to be with God's people. 
Like when you hear spiritual discipline, rhythm, all this, it sounds like so lofty. But for you, do you have three ways, three tools in your tool belt that you go to to show up and meet with the Lord? If you're dry right now, you got to check your tool belt and say, do I have any tools in my tool belt? If you don't, I promise the Lord is not going to magically show up right now as you drive out of here. He's going to show up on day 12, on day 64, on day 126, as you enter into a posture of worship before the Lord. Just a reminder, this is how the church started. This is a fascinating verse. This is the beginning of the church, us. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, we'll just stop right there. Pentecost, this is the Feast of Weeks. This is a Jewish religious activity. Jesus has come. Jesus has ascended on his throne. Now you got a bunch of Jews who now see Jesus as the Messiah and he has left them. And what are they doing when he leaves? They're doing what they've always done. They're showing up to do the Jewish rituals that God gave them thousands of years prior and they show up. And how many people showed up? They were all together there in one place. They did church. Jesus wasn't there taking attendance. He had left. He said, hey, I'm going to send you a better gift. They come and do this. And then what happens? And then suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house with it. What is that? That is the Holy Spirit. They showed up doing their part, presenting their discipline before the Lord. And the Holy Spirit lands on them. And the church begins. That is Christianity. We show up. The Holy Spirit lands, sometimes in beautiful, mysterious, huge, life-altering ways, and a lot of times just a good conversation around coffee with somebody at church that encourages you just a little bit, but you keep showing up time and time again. That's what we see with Solomon. What was Solomon's relationship with like the Lord? It was consistent. There was a discipline to it. It was fractured because he has all these allegiances we're going to read on later, but he loved the Lord, and he devoted himself to the Lord. In verse 5, God appears to him and says, Ask what I shall give you. Jesus would show up often with people and he'd say, What do you want? Like it's such an open-ended question. Kevin, what do you want? James, what do you want? Susie, what do you want? The creator of the universe has you in a conversation and he says, what do you want? The creator of the universe has showed up to Solomon by a dream, and he says, what do you want? So before we get into Solomon's, what he actually requests, I just want to remind us, this is not some sort of genie God. This is a relationship that Solomon has cultivated and the Lord has been cultivating. And now the heavenly father has come down to his earthly son and said, what do you want? And that takes us to our second R of Solomon, Solomon's request. What do you want? Just like you have a dream tonight and the Lord meets you. What do you want me to do for you? Like it's one of the best discipleship questions because it gets to the heart of like what's inside of me? And you don't have to like fluff it up and church it up and make it sound all good and have all the right words. Just in your core right now, what do you want? For some of you, it's a relationship to be fixed. For some of you, it's money. I asked Jimmy Curley, our youth director, what do you want? A million dollars. That just shows you what kind of leadership we have in our youth. <laughs> now, I'm like, that's it? Wow. That's not even that much money in this day and age either. You should ask for wisdom there, Jimmy Curley. <laughs> but what do you want? Here is Solomon's answer. Let's read verse 6 through verse 9. 
Solomon says, again, this is him talking to the Lord in a dream. You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Here's his request. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? What is Solomon's request? The first request, verse 6, is not even a request. It's just reciting God's faithfulness. Verse 6, you have shown great and steadfast love. Remember that steadfast love is hesed. It's unconditional, unbreakable love. You have loved me. You've loved my father. You've shown because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness and you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and you have given him a son to sit on your throne this day and now you've made me king. God, you've done so many beautiful things. My wife and I were in D.C. this last week. A very generous uh, family here in town took some pastors and their wives to D.C. to go see the Bible Museum and it is phenomenal. If you ever get someone to pay for you to go to D.C., say yes and go to the Bible Museum. It was amazing. But they have this interactive sort of Disneyland experience where you go through the Old Testament. And the part that just was the most fascinating to me is the Red Sea. You know, we know how it goes. It's a good story. You cross through the Red Sea. But then when you get through the Red Sea, God says, stop, place the stones here so you remember what God did for you. And it's the names of the tribes of Israel. And we're walking, and there's this big thing as we're walking through this sort of, you know, Star Wars type thing. And it's all the names of the tribes of Israel. And I was just like... Gosh, God is faithful. I think of me and like my four boys and just his faithfulness. Am I like, how many stones could I stack? Just, gosh, he's so good. But then you keep walking. And all that happens is Israel forgets to remember God's faithfulness. And then it shows the rocks crumble. And Solomon, before he asks, he's going to stop and he's going to count the rocks and remind himself and remind God that you have been faithful. Gosh, you're faithful. And then verse 7 and 8 is where you really see the beautiful heart of Solomon and his leadership style, which is different than his father. Verse 7 and 8, here's Solomon's getting to the heart of what he wants. And now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I'm but a little child, I don't know how to go out or come in. So there's this humble bio on his Facebook page. There's TikTok. I don't know how TikTok works, but. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So he's not to the prayer request yet. He's just assessing reality. Who am I? I'm but a child. Some people think he's about 19, maybe 20. Like, I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. I don't know anything. Like, my dad's one of the... Not smart. <laughs> he's smart in what he's smart in. But I was like, he could fix anything. He could do what he could do. And every time my friends would be over, like, your dad could change anything. He can fix anything. And my dad's line is always, it's been the same. He's like, I know what I know. And it ain't much. Solomon's like, I don't even know what I don't know. 
And then you've put me in place of this great people in the center of the world to lead and to govern. How am I going to do this? His prayer is based off his humility and the sense of weight of his calling. Like, do you remember the last time you felt sort of the weight on your shoulders of what God has placed you on this earth to do? Like I tell a lot of young men, I did not begin praying regularly. It wasn't a habit in my life until I got married. And something about driving to Texas, saying bye to all our family, taking this sweet young girl over to Texas, a little apartment in Texas, it's just us, and the weight of what the Bible calls a husband to be was like, whoosh. and I'd wake up in the morning and I'd pray, God, help me love this wife you have given me. Help me to lead and protect and to shepherd. Like, that's what we see with Solomon. Like, he's feeling the weight of what he's called to do. And he's feeling his inadequacy. That's a good place to be, Christians. We should be in that place more often. In your work, in your home, in your relationships, with your kids, with your adult kids. That is a good spot to be because that's the only spot anyone ever turns to prayers when they feel that, I can't do this. What I have at my disposal is not big enough, good enough, smart enough, rich enough to do what you've called me to do. And that's what we see Solomon. And then he makes his request, verse 9. He says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern your great people. Verse 9, give me an understanding mind. I don't like this translation. Most commentators I've read don't like this translation because it sounds very... Uh, cold and calculated, sort of engineerish. What Solomon's asking for is not sort of a bright mind to be the best engineer. Although engineers are fine, Clayton's a great guy, but that's not what he's asking here. What he's asking for is it's the word heart and the word listening. God, give me a listening heart. God, I'm about to step into something I'm incapable of doing. I need a listening heart. It's sort of like a, a nursing mom. We got a lot of young moms here. It's a mom's heart that hears when her kid needs something. And moves. Solomon's saying, I'm about to enter into something way over my head. And it's going to be loud. And there's going to be power struggles. There's going to be relationship dynamics. But I want a heart that hears your voice as I walk forward as the king you've called me to be. Give me a listening heart. Give me wisdom to do what you've called me to do. Like, I just want to spend a little time here just for you in a Solomon-type moment, like what are the areas where you look out or you look back or you look to the side and you're like, I need a listening heart. I need wisdom. I need help. God, guide me. Give me a listening and understanding heart. I wrote down a few things. Think of the calling God's placed on your life right now, whether you're a spouse, like I said, and your marriage is great, or it's early on, you want to build a foundation, or your marriage is terrible right now. What you need is a listening heart. Those of us that have been blessed enough to have kids, or adopted kids, or foster kids, or grandkids, like what a weight to bear to influence and disciple the next generation. Like that just is not a flippant thing. And it's not like an ownership, like their mind thing. It's like, God, I want to pour my life out in a way that matters. You pray, you pray, you pray. I think of everybody in here with their jobs, especially I think of teachers, of the amount of teachers I've talked to. Like, it is hard. You need to pray. God, give me a listening heart. 
being Christian is unique. Everybody's looking for wisdom. Christians have the answer. We just don't like the method. God says, stop and pray, and I'll give you wisdom for what you need. Being out in D.C., think about this. What about our confusing culture, all the places where we need wisdom right now? Like we were at the Capitol. Aubrey's doing all the research of like everything that happened in our country the last few years. I just had a thought. Okay, 2024 comes around again, and it's exactly the same as the last go-round. Are we prepared to do this? And this is not like a, whoever gets in. But I've talked to people in this room who have strained relationships because of what happened in our country over the last few years and different responses to policy and politicians. Do we want to walk forward and use the same tools we used last time? Or do we want to stop and say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. And you've called me to be a loving son to my mother, even though I cannot for the life of me understand that woman. That's not my prayer request. That's one of <laughs> Think of the conflict in your life right now. I don't, know how to I don't know how to solve this. Like this is a puzzle that has no picture for me to kind of get the pieces together. Like what are you going to do? Read books, get counseling, all that. But at the core, what you need is a listening heart and God to guide you. And then finally, I mean, all these can be summed up with the Great Commission. Jesus leaves and he says, hey, here's what you do. Go and make disciples of all nations. Hard enough. So whatever culture you're in, you're not called to stay in that culture. You're called to cross cultures, to make disciples, teaching them what? To say yes to a prayer, no, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And I'm with you till the end of the age. That is our call. Every single man or woman in here who calls Jesus Lord, we are called to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that we have been commanded to obey. How are we going to do that? That is a big, weighty call. I feel like Solomon, I can't do this. James passage, James 1.5. This is the brother of Jesus. Here's a simple, anybody in this room could do this. Yet you have to get to the point like Solomon where you say, I, I don't have what it takes to do this. If any of you lacks wisdom, simply do this. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Like what if with all those situations, whatever popped up in your head, whether it's adult children that have gone wayward, whether it's conflict in your marriage, whether it's work relationships that you can't quite figure out, whether it's you rethinking about 2024 and the political uh, climate of our current culture and our country and you walking back through that with family members like you did last time, whatever it is, what do you need? You need that to sink into your heart and you to really believe that. If any of you lacks wisdom in any situation, in any moment of your life, what do you do? Let him ask God. God shows up to Solomon and says, what do you want? He says, I want wisdom. Now Jesus shows up, the better king, and he says, oh, by the way, that wasn't just limited to Solomon. All of you, whoever is lacking wisdom, just ask, and I'll give it without reproach. If you lack wisdom, ask God. That was Solomon's request. Like Solomon, out of all, so in my books. Saul has dipped mightily. He's way more insecure than I expected him to be. David has dipped mightily. He's way more just aggressive and violent. But Solomon is raised in my mind because he has this sort of boyish nature where he's like, I don't know what to do here. 
And that's a good thing. Not for modern, successful, professional Americans, but for Jesus followers, that sort of boyish, childlike, I don't know what to do here, I better ask my dad, is exactly what Solomon demonstrates. And it's what we need. What's his request? God, give me wisdom. And how does God reward him? Final thing, Solomon's rewards. Let's read verse 10 through 15. I just love this interaction with him and the Lord. Verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you've asked for understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you not ask, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in the commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all of his servants. What is Solomon's rewards? There's a few here. The first one, verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. The very first thing that Solomon's reward is he pleased the Lord. What he asked was pleasing. He brought a smile to the face of Yahweh. That is a beautiful reward to know what I'm doing, what I've just asked, pleased. Like kids, that's all our, if you just want to please your parents. And we see Solomon, what he asked pleases. Why is it pleasing? Because God says what you asked for was not selfish. I love that, and I'm so convicted by that. The last prayer record I wrote was, I want a new truck. <laughs> and I've gone to the Lord faithfully, faithfully. Give me a new truck. Is he pleased by that? I don't know, but he's pleased by Solomon asking for something that does not benefit him personally, but benefits the people God has called him to. It pleases the Lord. Here's the next thing. He actually answers his prayer. He gives him wisdom. He says, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after. Here's how Solomon is described in the next chapter. You don't need to turn there. But in chapter 4, it says this. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and the breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom has surpassed all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. God, help me have a listening, wise heart done and then what jimmy ended on that story about the two prostitutes coming to him is sort of god's proof like hey i gave you exactly the wisdom you asked for here's a test case and i don't want to read that story again but it's essentially a very famous story it's all over popular culture there's painting after painting if you look up solomon's judgment it's depicted everywhere this is the proof that Solomon was the wisest guy. You've got two prostitutes show up, one kid. They're both saying their kid's the one that's alive. Solomon's like, all right, what am I going to do here? Verse uh, 23 says, then the king says, or then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because your heart yearned for your son, oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. The mother who said, no, 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 I don't want to cut the child in half. Let, let her take it. And then at the end it says, and all Israel heard of that judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Who gave Solomon that wisdom? That was a gift that God gave him. And that little proof there is there for us to see. Solomon is the wisest man up until we get to Jesus. God rewards him 
with wisdom. But more than that, here's my favorite verse in this whole thing. Because as we read in this story, it's easy to sort of count, camp out on the main characters, the Sauls, the David, the Bathsheba's, the Solomon's. But God is the main player in all these stories. Verse 13 is sort of just a little reminder of the heart of our Father, who is the one behind all these stories. He's pleased. He gives them the wisdom he asked for. Verse 13, and I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all the days of your life. Solomon asked for this. God says, done. And you didn't even ask for this, but I give you all this. Gold and riches and honor and fame and notoriety. It's yours. It reminds me of the verse out of Ephesians, one of my favorite verses, when, especially when I'm feeling like uh, chintzy, like God's chintzy with me. It's just a good reminder. This is what the God that we serve is like. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. What I love here is it's not at all what Solomon asked for or was thinking about. Same what that verse says. God can give us more than what we could even fathom in our own minds. Like my truck, I need a truck, I need a truck, I need a truck, I need a truck. God has much bigger dreams for me than I have for myself. And he gives Solomon beyond what Solomon can even think. I think of all the times in my life where God has overly showed up for us. I remember the first house. So we got some people in houses right now, some people like, oh, is this now the time? When we first bought a house, it was the first house in crisis. All my friends did it poorly. They all foreclosed. I'm like, I don't want to do this. And then eventually we're like, okay, we got to get out of the apartment. These kids don't fit in here anymore. So we make a prayer card. God, I'd love a fireplace. I'd love a fourth bedroom. I'd love, and we write down all this, and me and my wife just start praying. And he gave us that and then some. And it was our dream house. If you saw it, I'd be like, wow, dream bigger. It was great for us. <laughs> and then God calls us to move out of Chandler here to Phoenix to start this church. And my wife's only prayer request is, I need a pool. I'm like, God, ah, do we really need a pool? Yes, we need a pool. And God gave us a pool and gave us neighbors that we love abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. When we started our family, all I wanted to be was a dad. All I wanted was to have a son. A son. Because I love my dad. And whatever he was was like the greatest. I was like, I want to do that. And God's like, I'll give you Elijah. I'll give you Roman. I'll give you Jude. I'll give you Ozzy. I didn't think I'd have four sons. I wanted a son. God can do far more. And I get this can be like, this is getting a little prosperity, like just because you ask. That's not at all what I'm saying. Because there's lots of suffering in this room that God will not answer the way we're asking to answer. But he told Solomon, I will give you far more than you even asked for. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians. Sometimes we need reminders of the generosity of God. Amen? But we also need reminders that God is not just an open bank. I love the last thing he says to Solomon because it's an echo of the rest of Solomon's life. Verse 14, here's the final thing God promises to bless him with. And if you will walk in my ways, 
keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked in them, then I will lengthen your days. God is pleased. God answers his prayer request for wisdom. He gives him wisdom. And then he gives him this fruitful, blessed life as king of Israel. And then he says, and if you listen to me and obey me, I will lengthen your days. If you flip over a couple of chapters, 1 Kings chapter 11 is the end of Solomon's life at about the age of 59. It says this, now the rest of the Acts of Solomon, whatever he did in his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? So that the time Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was about 40 years. Then Solomon lay down with his fathers and was buried in the city of his father David. And his son Rehoboam reigned in his place. If you listen to me, I will lengthen your days. Did Solomon listen? He died at a fairly young age, especially for the leaders in Israel. Like God's generosity and his abundant goodness to us often comes just without any way, shape, or form. But often, he says, if you obey me, I will bless you even more. And Solomon's life is proof that that is not what happened. We're going to read. He marries more women, marries more women, makes more mistakes, does not follow in the ways of the Lord, turns his heart from the Lord, and he dies at the age of about 59 years old. The best thing we can learn from Solomon is we must all ask for wisdom. But here's the other thing that Solomon's going to teach us like his dad David taught us, like his person before him, Saul, taught us that we need a better king to worship. Solomon died at a young age because of his disobedience. Jesus Christ died at an even younger age because of our disobedience. Like, why did Jesus die at 33-ish years old? Because it was his time. Galatians says this, the fullness of time had come. God sent his son to redeem those had been under the curse of the law and it was time for God in the person of Jesus Christ to pay the price that we all deserve and he died at a young young age because of our disobedience as we open this up week after week I hope we learn from I really do hope that we go here and those things in our life those moments that are like I just don't know what to do what we would do is we'd read James and we'd say you know what I need here is wisdom But none of us are going to stop and then end our day worshiping Solomon because he cannot do his own obedience, let alone die for the disobedience of us in this room. Jesus Christ, the King, died for us. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thank you for inviting us into this story that's been going on since the creation of all things and then this story that found its focus in the people of Israel even more so zeroed in on these few men that we get to study here in Saul and David and Solomon and as Paul tells us in Corinthians this was written for an example for us to learn from so that we would not follow in their ways so God I pray 
that we would learn from Solomon as he faces this critical moment in his life where he looks out to see the calling and the weight of responsibility placed before him and he looks inward to see what he has to bring to the table that he was brought to the moment of asking you to provide the wisdom that he did not have. God, I pray that we would be a people that don't clamor and pull and fight and try to purchase the wisdom of this world, but we stop and we get on our knees and we beg you for wisdom in the situations and the places and the relationships and the vocations you've placed us. God, I pray for a lot of moments for us as a church where we would get on our knees and we'd cry out for wisdom. And like you did with Solomon, we'd have moments where we clearly saw you answer that prayer. But God, as a church, we gather, we get here like Solomon showing up week after week to sacrifice and to gather and to worship and to give and to lift up your name. We do it because we want more of you. We want more of Jesus, the one who was perfectly obedient yet for our sins was killed on a cross at a far younger age than he should have died so that we could be forgiven, that we could be cleansed, we could be filled with your spirit, and we can now walk victoriously in this life knowing that we have a relationship with you, the one who gives generously to those who ask. So God, thank you for the time spent here. Pray for the rest of our weeks as we look at Solomon. God, build us up as a church. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.